Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Southern California. And a reminder that this week's podcast um, follows a slightly different format, so it is part two of a longer conversation, but it is a natural break from our previous topic of community, um, and this is the part of the conversation that segues directly into our um, conversation about anger, which we'll be covering over the next few weeks. Um, and I hope you can see the continuity between the two conversations and understand why we uh, broke it up this week, uh, this way. Um, and to remind our listeners, as always, we practice a form of in- what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. And I hope you enjoy. What you just described, I'm going to actually, I get, I get the the qualification that someone is exhaling and it's just like, okay, I need to get that Mm -hmm. off my chest, Mm -hmm. but I will, I'll give you, um, uh, an anecdote from when I used to be a behavioral specialist. So, uh, which was Mm -hmm. my, one of the jobs that I had towards the end of my tenure as being a behavioral specialist, which is a behavioral specialist is someone that, that delivers, um, sort of frontline psychological aid at the highest level you can do it short of a master's degree. So I didn't mm-hmm. have, uh, I wasn't a licensed therapist, so I could not, you know, diagnose anything like that. But actually okay. executing therapeutic plans was essentially my job. So, okay. So towards the end of the time, this is many years ago. This is another uh, pursuit that I had, another another job. A different Travis. Years ago. Yes, right, that's right. Right, yeah. right but for what kind I'm of sorry. populations, Travis, were you doing this? Uh, m- most kids. Okay. So, uh, okay. You, you, Eight to 16, 17. I think 17 was the oldest that I had. Right, but so, nobody would like, nobody would like, um, what do you call it, physical or um, congenital disorders, more like psychological only kind yeah, of issues. Um, yeah, I, well, I did work with some more um, severely disabled, mm. physically disabled uh, kids. That was not the norm, though. That, okay. So, okay. but, but, okay. but uh, that did happen occasionally. Okay. It's a it's a long preface to get to this point when it mm. when a kid is, when a kid is escalated and they're upset. Um, it used to be in the eighties and nineties that they thought the best thing that you could do was to help them get it out mm. and to mm-hmm. to be to give them a cathartic experience. Mm. You know, so this you know from Aristotle, the Aristotelian catharsis. You know, mm. you sort of like expurge, you purge the emotions, you work mm-hmm. through them. Mm-hmm. So. But then they did a whole bunch of research on this, and it turns out it doesn't work. Mm. When you take mm. a kid that is escalated or escalating, mm-hmm. and you give them an emotional outlet in which to express that anger, it fuels mm-hmm. their anger. Mm. So it makes them more angry. They, they get worked up into a greater lather. Mm. Now, of course, at the end of that, at some point, there might be some kind of physical exhaustion, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it actually doesn't help deal with the underlying emotional motivation. Mm-hmm. I would actually suggest that the collective sort of exhaling and anger that is taking place in this country now is mm. an instance of the latter and not the former. Mm. It's not that a bunch of um, non-white communities, non-male straight communities are collectively exhaling and feeling better. Mm-hmm. It's that they are generating, perpetuating, and deepening anger, mm. their anger. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it is not 
constructive in that and that anger is our default emotional response in 21st century America and I think is actually deeply corrosive <clears throat> mm-hmm. possibly possibly I mean at this moment in our history possibly the most corrosive force that we have um, in this country and and I and I would say even to be more more controversial perhaps even more so than institutional whiteness I I think that institutional whiteness has to be undone and anger is precisely the tool that will not accomplish it agreed agreed mm. I want I want to uh, step in with an anecdote from my time teaching at the new school in fact, uh, Stephen, you'll be familiar with the people. I won't mention them by name, but you'll be familiar with them because at some point mm. you stepped in and uh, acted as a substitute instructor for me. Oh yeah, uh, back um, in spring of last year, mm-hmm. there were a couple of women in the class who. I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out a way of, of, of shorthanding this because it's a it's a long it's a rather long story. But the essence of the story is this: there are three three women who are close friends. One of them was going through some very difficult issues with her family, um, a separation mm-hmm. between her mother and father, and there had been some abuse in the relationship. And she brought this to class. And she told me, and she had trouble attending class in the first sort of third of the semester. And we had long conversations about what she could do, what kind of support services were available for her. So I was there for her. But at some point, uh, she she... I turned into the enemy to her because we were talking about research questions. And basically, she put up a research question on the board. We were putting up proto-research questions and tearing mm-hmm. them apart to see how research questions work and whether or not you have mm-hmm. a proper one that you can do the kind of that, – that would permit you to do the kind of research work and, and produce a report that the class demanded by the end of the semester, right? So we're putting these up on the board and we're, t- we're, we're ripping them apart. And she puts up one that has everything to do with her situation. Mm-hmm. Basically a, a kind of, what's the word, tendentious question that, that, that says, well, obviously th- the point of the question was to prove that children of mixed marriages start out life at a deficit because mixed marriages is just bad <laughs> kind of thing. She's, <laughs> she's the product of a mixed marriage. Um, okay. Right. Yeah, you right. know, one, uh, mother from the African diaspora, I think Caribbean, father, mm-hmm. white, wh- whatever. So I start talking about how, you know, what the issues are with these questions. And I basically end up saying it's too big. It's too large. You don't know. You, there's no way you can wrap your hands around all the, kind of mm. data you would need to wield in order to answer this question properly, right? For first of all, mm. what do you mean by African diaspora? Like where in the African diaspora, right? And I could see her face change. She got visibly upset. I don't know if I, I don't remember whether I tried to talk to her right after class. I think I may have, mm. but I'm not sure. But I recognized that something switched for her. And then from then mm. on, basically her and her friends became extremely antagonistic towards me like in a way that was rude not necessarily rude in front of the class but definitely in email communications just out and out disrespectful mm-hmm. and difficult what's the word oppositional mm-hmm. uh and so at the end of the class basically they the way they felt they complained to the academic advisor and the name who who 
carried those complaints on over to my supervisor. And basically what they did was they just tried to get me fired. They, they, they said no. whatever they could to make it seem like that I was out to Jesus. get them, that, uh, I was disrespectful towards them. And of course, none of these things were true. And thankfully, I had enough good references from the rest of the class that it made it clear that there was a real bifurcation, right? There, there was mm -hmm. a real difference. Mm -hmm. There were some students who, unbidden by me, just mm. wrote in their evaluation that this is one of the best classes they ever had, that I clearly really cared about them and I made them feel that way, la, la, la. Mm -hmm. So when I had this face-to-face meet, -face meeting with my supervisor about the stuff that the, uh, the women who mm. really had a problem with me had written, I said, you know, part of the problem is I'm emotionally stiff and I recognize that something went wrong, but I didn't feel like I could address it. Like I didn't know how to do mm. that. Mm -hmm. And later, speaking to someone else, a woman I, I dated briefly, actually, she said to me, because she teaches college at a school in Baltimore, and she's part of the faculty, has been mm -hmm. there for a long time. She said to me, you know, part of the problem is that where we are now is that the go-to move in a situation of friction or misunderstanding is escalation. That's the go-to move. So students... Mm -hmm escalate. If something mm -hmm. goes down in class that they don't like, they don't come to me or talk to me about it, try to figure, work through it. As you were mm -hmm. talking about, they're looking for a way to like vent and get that cathartic mm -hmm. something going on. So they complain to the academic advisor and they complain to each other and then they write, write things in my um, evaluations that, mm -hmm. are, that are really mean-spirited. And, and Ailish is the woman I was speaking to about this, said, this is the thing about our present moment, is that we, and I, and, I, and I think I can point to popular culture too, when you look at the ways that the kind of larger political and cultural arguments are carried out on TV and on radio, they're often combative. Like, this is, this is, this is CNN, right? Like, CNN will put on someone they know to be a liar. You put on Kellyanne Conway mm -hmm. against someone. You know that Kellyanne Conway. Alternative facts. They're alternative right, right, facts. Right. right, right. <laughs> but she's, she's, a li she's a liar. She's a liar. But what they do is they generate anger. They generate conflict, oh, yeah. right? And it's mm -hmm. open conflict. And, the and kit, yeah. I, 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 that is our, that is precisely our cultural moment. And you, and Travis is mm -hmm. right when he says that it is ultimately corrosive. Because what it does is it puts us in a position of nihilism. Like the only solution mm -hmm. I can see when I wake up in the morning, you know, before I've had time to really think about this, is to just burn it all down and start over. Mm -hmm. Wow, wow. What a great story. What a great story. I was, while you were talking, I was thinking about the idea of anger as corrosive. And that, mm -hmm. so... A couple things popped in mind, and I actually found the the quote online. James Baldwin said, "To be Negro in this country and be to to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time." Mm. And so I started pulling that apart and thinking about your example of being in the classroom and this idea that regular conversation can't solve something. <laughs> that this person needs to be taken down, right? Because initially, when earlier when we were talking about anger, I was like, "Wow, social media," or Places where people have stopped wanting to get move past the personality to actually get to the thing that they're mm -hmm. discussing is 
is ops- it's um clouded, but it's also an excuse to unload on somebody else. Exactly. The things that are compounded, right? So you might have taken a train to get there and somebody's on the train yelling, you know, or or in a state of decay right in front of you, you know. Mm. Um you it's snowing outside, the the sidewalk isn't shoveled, you fall on the sidewalk, you get to class, you you feel very strongly about this mm. one thing about interracial families and not working and not being able to see that what you have is an idea. It is not a reality, it is mm. an idea. And it may be an experience, but it may not be everyone's experience. And for you to say that this isn't, this is too large <laughs> of a topic for for how many weeks, or actually less than that. <laughs> right, right. This isn't tenable. Right. No offense to you, right. <laughs> but right. you're going to take it on as, oh, this guy's trying to destroy me, or whatever. Right. So I was thinking about the um, compounded anger and frustration, mm. and. The kinds of things that New Yorkers do to simply get through their day, mm. if they're on the subway or walking down the street mm. or in a, you know, or just trying to live. Or I won't even say New York. I'll just say anywhere where there's just a lot of stress. Um, and then you add that political component where you there won't there are times when I won't watch TV because I don't want to be upset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also feel, vi- and I also feel that exercising that anger isn't something like, I feel like anger is the first point you get mad at something because that's just natural. It's mm-hmm. piss, it pisses you off. Right. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. you examine that, that anger. What is it? Mm-hmm. It just can't fester. Mm-hmm. It can't fester. It needs to be um, exercised. It needs to be put into something. You won't, you you're angry that people treat their kids badly. You won't treat your kid badly. You've thought mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you've learned a lesson from it. But I think that being on social media all the time, just continuously, you can just be outraged every fucking 10 seconds you're swiping, Mm -hmm. you know, just Mm -hmm. outrage is something, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that it is corrosive at the same, no, actually not at the same time. It's not an equal thing. I don't feel like it is as corrosive as white supremacy or white misanthropy. I feel like it's close to it because it doesn't, because no one's learning. I mean, people aren't learning Mm -hmm. from... Like, you know, I won't say, and I only say that gross generally because I run in circles where people are actually looking at those things and trying to learn how to talk past, I mean, talk to each other uh, with people who have differing opinions. They're actually doing Mm -hmm. that kind of work on very small levels, I guess, on levels that are not really large platforms because the angrier you get, I think, you're more susceptible to thinking that your feelings are the truth of a situation rather than a perspective. Mm -hmm. So you're just being led around by your feelings. You're just being outraged. And there's just no action other than being outraged. And so the outrage of the Me Too movement, yes, absolutely. Because it's compounded anger. It's frustration. It's being told that what happened to you as a woman doesn't matter. Mm. And you've seen it over and over again. Mm. Harvey Weinstein took the the bite. He took the bullet for the things that he did somewhat, you know, obviously. Mm. But mm. but there's so much more going on to that movement. Mm. So much more. Mm. So when we talk about anger not being productive, you know, with a caveat, it can be productive, but it can't be the only thing. Yeah. So I think I'm with you on the last thing. I think I think anger on its own as a thing in itself, as in a, as mm-hmm. an anger having a value, like, you know, when you'll get this sort of, 
well, this is mm-hmm. how I feel. This is my truth. You know, that kind of thing. Like, I, I feel like that is effectively useless. It is, in fact, corrosive. I do not think anger as a tool to motivate and propel change is at all useless. I think it is quite useful. And mm-hmm. in fact, I mean, this is something that um, that Tibetan Buddhists understand. Like there's, a, there's mm-hmm. a figure, and I don't remember, I'm too far out of it now, too many years ago, but there's a figure of one of the particular um, uh, representations of, in a, uh, of sort of these emotional obstacles on the way to enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Anger can either be a demon or it can be a beatific uh, Buddha that propels you forward. So anger can can be a retarding force that mm-hmm. that and, and a corrosive force, or it can be something that propels you to change. So the Baldwin quotation that you used mm-hmm. is a fantastic example of how anger was channeled by a segment of of the U.S. population to make to make a legitimate full-scale assault on institutional whiteness in this country, mm-hmm. right? And, imper- and, and and I wouldn't, it certainly wasn't a, a wholesale victory. There are many places mm-hmm. in which those those institutional forces are, al- are alive and well and pushing back. So mm-hmm. for sure that's true. But as, as it stands today in American discourse, on social media, Within the social groups that that we're kind of shorthanding and, and anecdoting and discussing, mm-hmm. I I don't see its utility. I, I don't mm. I don't see that it has any redeeming value. I'm not talking about anger. I'm talking about our collective the per, the permission as a culture that we have given to just its naked, unreflected expression. I I don't see what good can actually come out of that. Now, I don't mean anger in all instances Mm -hmm. at all times. I'm saying the type of cancel culture anger that seems to be – not seems to be, that is very much of the moment um, I Mm -hmm. see as only corrosive. Well, what it's done too is, and, and this is part of what I think helps to make it corrosive is it's become a form of entertainment. So, oh shit! So watching yes. shit like yeah. you know, I mean, we we remember, well, we mm-hmm. all remember. Uh, I'm thinking here of, because we're around this, we're the same age cohort. We remember um, the goddamn Maury Povich show, and um, <laughs> and what yeah. was it? What was the one that came after with the guy who? Became like mayor of Chicago or something. Jerry Springer. Jerry yes. Springer. Jerry Springer. Mm-hmm. Jerry yes. uh-huh. Springer. Damn mm-hmm. him to hell. He mm-hmm. made <laughs> he made yeah. anger sport. Right? Yeah. And and well, mm-hmm. wait, what you disagree, Stephen? No, I don't disagree that he is a facilitator, but mm. I also feel like that moment, you can't like things that aren't popular because um, mm, two, two or three yeah. people like yeah, it. No, agree. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Right. Yeah. right. Yeah, 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 There's something fair. in the um, zeitgeist that's like, yeah, let's see people fighting on shows. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's something there <laughs> yeah, that I find. And please don't lose your point, Travis. But I remember watching it one day with Carla, and this guy comes on stage, and he's supposed to be the guy who's, ch- this woman's ch- 
cheating with and she just told her boyfriend and she comes out and the guy has flowers and ends up using the flowers to hit the other man over the head. And I was like, flowers, <laughs> beautiful flowers. How ridiculous is this? Yeah. This seems insane to me that we are, um, that you're hungry for this kind of thing. What does this say about you? What's it say about wanting to have that release? Or, you know, am I even like, you know, what does it mean? But go back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Do you remember? Seth, you were just going on. Yeah, you were saying, saying something. Right. About that moment. Right. Well, I think what's happened is that that moment has morphed into a kind of institutionalized version of working through problems. So let's let's go back to Baldwin. Let's talk about Baldwin's appearance on the Dick Cavett show. When he was mm-hmm. seated next to someone who, I don't remember whether he was an editor of a major newspaper or the New Yorker or something like that, or he was a historian, and historian. He was some sort of, he had a lot of cultural cachet, white man in a suit mm-hmm. next to him, mm-hmm. uh, on the couch, uh, or in separate chairs, actually, on the Dick Cavett show. And Baldwin, who I think really is animated by that kind of anger, that kind of rage throughout most of his career, mm-hmm. writing career, Mm-hmm. dismantled this man, right? Much as he did in the in the great Oxford debate against William F. Buckley. Like, right. mm-hmm. slowly, carefully, but methodically dismantled their arguments, dismantled them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by, by, by pointing out some sort of relatively obvious truths, like Sunday morning is the most... Uh, uh, Segregated day in America. Right, Segregated Segre- exactly. Hour, thank you. Right? Mm-hmm. What... Crucial for me here, and I think is is really imp- I think this is historically important and histor- and and gets at what's happening in this moment now, is that the kind of anger that Baldwin used was a kind of the way I want to say it, the way I'm saying it in my head is a kind of banked anger, right? It's not a full roaring blaze. It's it's a banked fire. That's very much the same spirit that animates the the leaders in the classic civil rights movement. Bull Connor, on the other hand, was the kind of stupid leader who let his anger just like blaze up and out. This is why he sicked um, dogs on protesters, why he blasted them with fire hoses, because that anger got to blossom into violence. And he thought that, that, that the proper expression of his, of his anger was to be violently coercive with this black mm-hmm. population that was making demands on him that he didn't feel he needed to meet, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas the black population, the, the very uh, uh, well-organized uh, civil rights um, protesters and demonstrators had a kind of banked anger, a kind of fuel, right? That they, they were disciplined about the way that they were going to go about dismantling white institutionalism or institutionalized whiteness. Mm-hmm. I think there's Are a very different hope though. Maybe. I mean, maybe, I don't know, but I mean, I, I, I mean, you, 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 you referenced Baldwin talking about that kind of rage. And I think that, that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that may be, maybe really at the center of all of these movements, these social justice movements, mm-hmm, women's mm-hmm. rights, workers' rights, civil rights. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're allied with hope as well. I, I I think we need to kind of talk through it. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just mm. a word that came to me because it made me think of the trans, the transformative 
the surgical precision in which Baldwin would take down an argument mm. wasn't taking down that person. Right. And the difference today, mm. what I see with cancel culture, it's a fake form of power. So it's mm. not empowering at all. It's just that you mm. told that bitch. Right. You know? Right. You told that bitch. Right. And also, it's very inflexible. So it's not like you can't have a... Co- a conversation about someone who cancels you. Right. Right. <laughs> As if they could. Because even then, I'm like, how are they canceled? Really? Really? So are the really only canceled? thing I, I, <laughs> I agree, but I don't know that it's fake power. I mean, Aziz Ansari, his show got canceled. That wasn't yeah, fake. Yeah. Like, he lost. Yeah. He lost. Mm. I mean, lost I'm sure he's none. still doing fine. Right. But, yeah. but I, that had real consequences. It had a real impact. And I, I use Aziz Ansari specifically because mm-hmm. the, accusation against him I found totally without merit. Mm. Now, I don't think that is true with Louis C.K. and a few of uh, several other people like, eh, okay, you know, I mean, I'm not saying they should be canceled, but I'm saying mm. like, nah, these are pretty complicated stories. The one against him, I think, is just unfettered bullshit. And so mm-hmm. I... I I mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think that cancel culture does in fact have power. Mm-hmm. Or that mm-hmm. that uh, that one director James Gunn that got canceled from the Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy franchise for jokes that were how many years old? A decade that he had, apo- that he, that he had apologized for. Really? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I didn't know been, this one. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty, yeah. Oh. I remember. Oh. Yeah, no, I mean he's been brought back now, but I mean mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. that that directly affected his opportunities and livelihood. No, fair so, enough. Absolutely. Um, so I think there is real power there. I um, guess, uh, thank you for expanding my um, my sensibility about it because I'm thinking of very local, very social media kind of things and not thinking mm-hmm. of these examples that I've witnessed. Similarly, and mm-hmm. um, and, and, and uh, uh, the guy you just mentioned who was a really good example sorry. because of the ways in which people weren't able to nuance that particular mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Um, and then also the like the it was very like this is just a terrible date. This is just a terrible date. And yeah. he wasn't aware of what he did. And he could be a man aware of it. It feels like a thing that you go to that person to talk about. But instead, yeah. in the context of the Me Too movement. Escalated, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Clearly, yeah. This no was nuance. clearly not his finest hour. Like no, obviously this was not like yeah, obviously, but this is definitely does not raise to the level of you know cultural exile. Like it's just not. Well, well, well not what he did. And, and, and he didn't it, get it, but yeah, okay. And what I want to say <laughs> about that mean. moment is that for both of them, it, the, we having read, and I want to be clear to listeners, I'm coming to this conclusion having read her account of what happened. Yes, in me too. Babe yeah. magazine, or I think it was. Um, they both looked to me oh, sure. like they were not fully present and not able to be accountable to themselves for their actions. Mm-hmm. Clearly, oh, yeah. she was uncomfortable. She just needed to like get her things and leave. She really did. She just mm-hmm. needed to like, you know what? I don't like this. I'm out. And I'm right. sure that Aziz would have been like, okay, let me call you a cab. You're good. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would have well, been, resi- sure. been He would have been, well, been right. That's true. I don't know. But I, I right. suspect mm-hmm. that. But okay. he was clearly, even in the account she gave, he was clearly uncomfortable with her discomfort, right? So mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, the, the inability, but this is the thing about anger, right? It's like anger makes it less possible, maybe not impossible, but much less possible mm-hmm. for us to think in nuanced ways mm-hmm. about who we are and what we want. Like that's the shame. Yeah. It is really, thank you for that qualifier. Absolutely. It makes, I believe it makes things a lot less easier to, to put out there. 
because you're inflamed, right? Mm. So your anger, a friend of mine likes to say, fuck your feelings. What happened here? What, you know, what's going on? Mm. But not really fuck your feelings, but mm. put them where they belong here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so, and I'm, and I, to be honest, I mean, I could be completely wrong about my interpretation of that, but I thought that what he essentially was saying was, there, this is a blind spot for you at the moment. How, and how can this particular um, interaction or moment be transformative? And maybe that doesn't happen right there, but as you're talking mm. through it, like you said, we need to talk through it. How many of us are willing to talk through it when we're angry? Mm. You know, when we feel like we are justifying our anger. Mm. Now, if somebody's coming at you with a fucking hatchet or trying to burn your house down or, or lynching you, that's a different kind of something. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. talking about what mm. we were talking about in the past podcast about the idea of um, the Stoics. This isn't tearing up my world. <laughs> mm-hmm. These things mean a lot more to me. This thing right here, okay, I have a pencil, I broke the tip. Or I bumped into you on the subway, or I might have stepped on your shoe inadvertently. We're okay. We're going to be okay with this. So fuck you, bitch, isn't like it's a disproportionate response to what just happened here. (laughs) Do you know? So that's why I think when people's feelings, when you, I know when I'm not in a great mood, so Mm. I don't, I'm trying not to be around people because Mm -hmm. I'm just uh, not a good time. Mm -hmm. I'm not even a good time to Mm -hmm. myself, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I can be very just like cold, Mm -hmm. you know, just like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, I'm not interested and dismissive. Mm -hmm. It took me a while. It was only after listening to people talk to me about how they experienced me when I was in those moods Mm -hmm. that got me thinking, I don't want to be like that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be like that. I want to move past my moods to be present with someone and kind to someone. Mm -hmm. And so- if you're not aware of that kind of, uh, and it's like you, like you said, it's entertainment. So people think it's cute mm. to cuss somebody out on the phone walking down the street. I do mm. not think so. <laughs> I find it disturbing and it's painful disturbing. in a way. Yeah. And why, yeah. why do I have to be a part of this? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So maybe Bitch. for the, yeah. for the mm-hmm. next session, we should talk about, uh, or we can talk about um, what, how we got to the point where we recognized our own kind of anger, like what anger we carry mm. and from mm. where, and how we got to the point where we recognized um, that we do carry anger mm. and mm-hmm. maybe work through it. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That I like that. Great. Yeah. That actually yeah. sounds really yeah. awesome. Mm. Um, so thank you, uh, Stephen and Seth, for the longer conversation and, and the segue into anger. And um, I'll speak to you all next week. Okay. That's good. Take care. Yeah.